1: It's important for drivers everywhere to remember that we all share the road. Yes, you will be cut off at some point. Someone will be riding your bumper, sure. These things are frustrating, but is it really worth losing your cool? Our state ranks in the top five for road rage incidents. But what's being done about this? Why are things getting so overheated out on our highways and side streets? And how can we all learn to keep our emotions under control when we're behind the wheel? That's coming up later this hour. But first, it's my pleasure to introduce something new from our sister station, WNXP. Their new series focused on emerging artists and new projects is called Next Up, and it gets started tomorrow night, Wednesday, April 26th at Brooklyn Bowl, featuring Nashville's Brian Brown, Elke, and Vo. Here with more to break it down is WNXP's program director, Jason Moon-Wilkins. Hey, Jason, welcome to This is Nashville.
2: Hey, Khalil, it is a pleasure to be here, finally. Finally. Uh, (laughs) Only took a year, but we made
1: it happen. All right, so, you know, let's start with the basics. What is WNXP's next
2: up? You know, it's an idea that uh, as you know, WNXP was born in lockdown, and so, so much of what we had to do in the beginning was focused just on the radio station or in editorial and, and online, and there there was a moment where we said, you know, we, we would really like to do something focused on emerging artists that we can do as a series, and of course, at the time, this was early 2020, uh, or excuse me, early 2021, we're thinking could we get this on stage at some point? But that's still literally a dream, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and in this, so the the seeds were sown then, but you know, what we wanted to do was take a look at some artists who are in a certain phase of their career. So you might have the artists that we focus in on for National Artists of the Month who might be at a certain level, but you take someone uh, like Elkie who's involved with this, just released an EP. So you know, is is in that that emerging stage, you know, what can we do to better spotlight those artists? And so we put it together as a program, you know, so it has on-air elements, it has editorial elements, and it has the live element tomorrow night mm-hmm. at, at Brooklyn Bowl and kind of brings all this together. And, and we can talk about how it, it sort of also gives us a chance to literally bring communities together to different kinds of artists who... Are you know playing in front of different kinds of audiences? Talk to me about that. Yeah, like
1: you're, you you had these are three different artists who yeah. have different fan bases. There may be some in the Venn diagram. Absolutely, of like yeah. musicologists who listen yeah. to everything. <laughs> What's so special about getting together
2: fans of these artists in one area to listen to everyone's music? You know, I've been involved with so many different things over the years in Nashville, and my favorite things consistently have been. I mean, this dates back to you know, the 90s is looking at, okay, yeah, there is this group over here. And like you said, there's a Venn diagram of people who they're going to listen to punk and they're going to listen to hip hop and they're going to listen to, you know, avant-garde. But they also still, even this day where a lot of genre boundaries have been broken down, there are people who, you know, primarily like one's, you know, type of music. So in doing something like this, honestly, it's easier to market if you go, this is all alternative rock or this is all hip hop. Mm-hmm then you just know exactly what it is. But in this situation, you know, it's there's a purpose and an intent in doing this. Because when you bring those communities together, a there's the commonality of it, and b what I found time and time and time again, cre- you know, creative partnerships happen. Uh, you know, new ideas are sparked just from people being in the same room, and they find that person that introduces them to someone else. So it really is. As much as we're excited about what's going to be happening on stage, what's happening off stage is a big deal, too. Mm -hmm. Tell me this. Why do you want
1: to start WNXP's Next Up on top of the stuff you're already doing, Record of the Week and Artist of the Month?
2: Well, it really did boil back down to when we launched Nashville Artist of the Month and Record of the Week, there were things— that we're in between, you know, Vaux is a perfect example. This is a band that is very much of the streaming economy and that they're rolling out singles, you know, they don't have a full album yet, they're still developing their live audience. And so, whereas, you know, we might focus on uh, an artist like Joy Lottakun, who had a full album out, had been out for a minute as a Nashville Artist of the Month, we're like, what do we do with Mm Vaux? Well, we can just do a one-off, you know, interview with him, cool, that lives and dies really quickly. Or we could create a series for artists like that. And that's really where
1: it started. All right. Now it's time for us to get to the good stuff. Yes. First up, we've got Brian Brown. Let's take a listen to his song, Better Days.
3: Let me put it on spokes, let me make one for the grown folks Something special where your great grandkids know When they put this on, it was memphis and a smile too Be proud of whatever you overcome I know it get difficult, but trust, you got it Coming from somebody that divide all the eyes you see Now I'm mathematics pretty far from a statistic I just know they stick it to it, make a reality. It'll be okay, cause better days on are...
2: you know Khalil we could spend a half an hour breaking down Brian Brown mm-hmm. and uh, and what he means to the city he is one of the first hip hop artists where i remember i was trying to do a story when i was still on the news side about about rappers who were really like engaging in the conversation around gentrification in Nashville mm. and not as many were as i kind of expected you know and uh, but Brian Brown was someone who because of his perspective of having grown up here he's he's you know the rare native And then he moved away to Chattanooga and Atlanta, and he came back and it gave him this perspective. And he wrote about this in a 2020 record that's amazing called Journey, a song called A Cashville Story. And then recently, you know, he's really started to develop uh, more of a national profile. He did this great EP that has a a, a rap on it called NBA Jam that Mm. Pitchfork loved. And so he's getting that recognition and finally getting out and doing more performances. But that song right there, like that to me is... I remember listening to you break down some Nashville hip hop history recently, Mm -hmm. you know, some great folks on the air about this. And that to me is a bit of a blueprint on what a Nashville sound could be moving forward because there's the musicality to it. There's all these elements that are available, you know, in Nashville. Yeah. that he really incorporates into his sound. Love Brian Brown.
1: I'm telling you the weather has to catch up to that oh, that song goodness. right there cuz that's sunshine and Absolutely. good times all day long. All right, so we're going to move on to the band called Vo. Yeah. They they opened up for Wet Leg at WNXP's birthday party show yeah. a few months ago. Let's take a listen to their song Moonlight Sugar.
2: That's another one that the weather needs to catch up with. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a song that's doing really well for Vo right now. A recent single from them, Moonlight Sugar. There's a live session version on WNXP.org, which sounds amazing. Um, You know, they're a band that we've gotten to see, just in our short time being on the air, develop. They came from Colorado, so transplants, like so many people in Nashville. And we're drawn here because, like so many musicians, New York and L.A. were uh, still—National's very expensive, but still less expensive than New York and L.A. So that was part of it, but it was also drawn by the songwriting community. They do a lot of collaboration. You see this in the features that they bring in on their songs. You see them show up in some other places, and the way they have been building and building, you're seeing it in the numbers, too. Uh So their streaming numbers really going up with that song and another song recent from them called Starberry Blues. I I see that song— As the main track behind an iPhone ad.
1: Oh man. iPhone 15.
2: Oh they they've had a couple of you know placements or syncs, as we call it in the music industry, you know, and oh yeah, they're they're prime for more for yeah. sure. Let's go. Apple, if you're listening, make it happen. <laughs> All right, so the
1: third artist on tomorrow night's next up, Bill, is Elkie. Mm-hmm. Let's listen to a bit of the song. I love this title. Yeah. Milk Dipped Cloud. Laser torch
4: and young and slow.
2: I think you can hear that in the music there, Khalil. Where Elkie is someone who, on record and live, has a sense of drama mm. about what she's doing in her performance. Uh, recent show that was completely packed out, sold out the Blue Room at Third Man Records. Um, really dynamic, like a Saint Vincent. You know, yeah. uh, an artist that incorporates art into everything they do. You know, presentation-wise and on stage, and uh, someone who. Grew up in the Midwest, uh, has been here for a little bit, but gone back and forth in, with Los Angeles. And whose partner uh, is Zach Farrow, the producer and a drummer with Paramore. And worked with her on this and lots of collaboration with, with Nashville folks. And you, uh, you would recognize even some of the people who will be on stage with her tomorrow night. Yeah, it's, it's heavy with emotion. That oh, story. yeah. I love it.
1: Anyone else who's been in- integral in making all this happen?
2: Oh, yeah. If I I got out of here without mentioning Emily Young, we would all be in trouble. Uh, That's true. Emily Young, who is events director for WNXP, um, is crucial in making this happen. Uh, This was something, like I said, we had as an idea, but it would not have come to life if it wasn't for the impetus of Brooklyn Bowl talking to us about this and saying, hey, you know, we've got an idea as well. Maybe we paired together and Emily Young really making it happen. Okay, so where can folks go to learn more? You know, right now, WNXP.org is littered in a good way with uh, links to, you can read about all the artists you just heard. You can listen to them. And there are two live sessions, one for Brian Brown, one for Vo, and Elkie will be up next on there. All right. uh, tomorrow night, Wednesday, uh, Brooklyn Bowl, I think 7 p.m. is our start, but tickets are over there as well.
1: All right. Jason Moon Wilkins is the program director for WNXP. Jason, thanks again for being with us. Man. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll explore the public safety problem of road rage and meet someone whose family was tragically impacted. Have you been affected by road rage? Tell us about it by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Kaleole, Kelowna, and this is Nashville. Every day people get in their vehicles and drive. The goal is to arrive at our desired destinations safely and quickly. In our rush to get from point A to point B, we sometimes view anyone who gets in front of us or slows us down as an obstacle. Frustration leads to anger and sometimes escalates. To road rage. That's when people take out their frustrations on their fellow mortarists. And it can be really dangerous. Add guns to the mix, and it can be deadly. My next guest understands this. He lost his brother to road rage and has dedicated his life to solving this problem. Jason Sparks, welcome to This is Nashville. Thanks for being here,
5: man. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you guys.
1: Really appreciate you being here. And you know, you lost your brother to a road rage incident. And let me express my
5: condolences to you and your family. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Tell us about Chris. What was he like? Man, he was, uh, gosh, he was uh, my best friend. Um, he, he and I just, we were totally different, politics, everything. Um, we looked totally different. And he had had a pretty tough life. He uh, It took him a while to get started, but he ended up going back to college, got a double degree in mathematics and physics. And then in 2015, he moved uh, here to Nashville to be with uh, uh, my family because he really loved my uh, kids. And he got a great job with the... State Department of Labor and Workforce Development. It was his first real, like, nine-to-five job in his mm. life, and uh, he was just brilliant. He uh, he did Second City uh, improv. He uh, was an amazing chef and just a brilliant guy all the way around.
1: When you said that he was your best friend, I saw your face light up. Do you have a favorite memory of him?
5: Oh, God, there's so many of them. Um, <laughs> he... Uh, <laughs> He I, I can't even begin to tell you he he, and I had so many inside jokes. He was just so Brilliant. Uh, we we chatted constantly. I mean like our we just had this constant feed going during the day of us messaging things back and forth with each other But mm-hmm. yeah,
1: mm-hmm. now in, in 2016 16 things changed for your family.
5: Yeah. um, Actually, so he worked very close to here, up in Metro Center, and he lived up in the Nations. And right around the corner from here, he went home during his lunch break to walk his rescue dog, Dawson. And he was was a good driver. He was kind of a redeemed driver. He went to driving school and kind of came a proselytizer for being a safe driver. And so he would always... He wouldn't drive recklessly, but if he saw somebody driving poorly, he would honk at him. He was that kind of person. I, I don't do that, but he honked at the wrong car right here on Ed Temple, and um, he made it to the next intersection, and that person shot him twice and just drove away. It It happened in broad daylight, and, and they never caught who did it. And uh, that night, I got word that that he was in the, in the I need to come identify his body, and mm-hmm. um, and I didn't hear back from him that day. We had this chat thread going all day long and we worked both up here at Metro Center and then uh, and that was it.
1: I understand this is really hard. Yeah. Tell me, what what were your interactions with police like when you tried to find out who did this?
5: Uh, the, police, the police were great. Um, you know, it was a pretty tough period of time. In 2016, there were eight shootings in 10 days, including the country music hall of fame shooting. And then actually another guy from Knoxville got shot on Briley Parkway and they never caught that person either the same day as Chris. Um, you know, they, they were great, but unfortunately, you know, they're pretty heavily taxed and it went to cold case pretty fast. I mean, we have a $25,000 reward, but I mean, I haven't heard from them in years, unfortunately. Did you take, Make efforts on your own to try to
1: find the shooter.
5: Yes, yes. I mean, we we did lots of news appearances. We put a huge reward out there. Uh, just, it was exhausting. And uh, it just kind of went to a cold trail. It stinks because we know it was a silver impala with dark tinted windows. And that still haunts me to this day. You know, every time I see somebody honk at me or driving around, I mean, I, I just wonder, you know, is that the same car that could do that and just drive off? Mm.
1: I, I'd like to introduce my next guest. Lieutenant Bill Miller is with the Tennessee Highway Patrol, and he joins
0: us now. Lieutenant Miller, thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. And, and Jason, I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh, that that story is uh, that's heartbreaking to me, and I'm, I'm deeply sorry for your loss.
5: Thank you, Lieutenant Miller.
0: Let me ask you, Lieutenant Miller, how much of a problem is road our road rage incidents statewide? It's a very significant problem that we're experiencing statewide, and it's something that— um, is very close to what Jason just described in his personal situation. When you're driving down the road, you have no idea who's in that car behind you, in front of you, beside you, anywhere around you while you're sharing the roadway. We don't know what that driver has done or has gone through. So um, one thing we we really stress is to try not to engage yourself into that driver's world. Mm. Unfortunately, like Jason's brother blew the horn. That could be such a minute moment, minute incident to Jason's brother, but to that person, it could be the, unfortunately, the, the trigger that triggers them to where a rational minded person would not go as it did with this person who pulled a gun and shot his brother just by blowing the horn. Mm. But we don't know what's going on in that person's world. Were they just Did their family just divorce them, leave them? Did they lose their job? Did they go bankrupt? Did they lose everything? Did they just, uh, were they involved in some type of very uh, dangerous act or incident? Are they running drugs? Are they uh, human trafficking? Uh, are they on edge for because they're higher on some type of drugs or alcohol? We just don't know what is going to trigger that person out of the vehicle. Tell me, in your, in your view, what are some of the causes for these altercations? Many times, uh, it's it's an insult to that person, to their, to their, uh, whether their, their manhood. If it's a man, they feel like you're threatening them. You feel like you're challenging them. You've, uh, I dare you question me. I dare you challenge me on how I'm driving. You cut me off. I didn't cut you off. They don't perceive their actions that they were wrong. They perceive you as being the aggressor. You're the one that wronged them. So uh, again, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a two-way mirror in many cases. Uh, We may see what we see, but the other, person doesn't see what you're seeing. Mm. So um, it's really, it's, there's no rhyme and reason to it. There's a, there, We can speculate on what causes road rage, but really it, it comes down to time in many cases. Uh, we don't allow ourselves enough time to reach our destinations where we're planning to go to. So therefore we're, we're on edge where our anxiety is raised. Uh, we're worried about what the boss is going to say, we're, we're going to miss our children's sporting event or, or play at school or whatever the case may be. Simply because we did not allow ourselves enough time. So, our anxiety level is high. Now, you add in the mix of uh, traffic, and that raises your anxiety level even higher. And then you add into the mix of a, a person probably cutting you off when you're trying to get to your exit and you can't get over now because this car's cut you off. So there are so many again the word triggers that can that can the, the the situation keeps elevating and all of a sudden here it's the it's the snapping point. If
1: you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host Khalil Lake-Alona. We're talking this hour with Lieutenant Bill Miller and Jason Sparks about road rage in our state. Join the conversation and tweet us at this is Nashville, but not if you're driving right now. Now, Jason, after your brother was killed, you became an advocate for gun violence prevention.
5: How did you get started in that work? Um, I think I had a a wonderful lady. You've actually had her on the show, I think, last week, Linda McFadden-Ketchum. Yes. Um, She just reached out to me and asked if if I would come talk to the legislature, because there were some pretty terrible bills that were coming across. And if I would just tell my story. and. You know, I, I really went into that hoping that I'd have a Mr. Smith goes to Washington moment and change hearts and minds. And I've kind of found over the years that's not the case, but I, I just I'm never going to give up.
1: How did they respond to your testimony when you were speaking to them at the uh, state
5: legislature? Oh, They look on their phones. They'd look away. They, you know, walk out of the room while you're trying to explain to them. Uh, I've seen them, unfortunately, do it to law enforcement officers at the highest levels in the state. It's it's really frustrating. Mm now, I'm I'm sure people like report incidents
1: of road rage to law enforcement, but as we heard from Jason, you mentioned this earlier, but that doesn't always end up finding who the culprit is and who was involved. Lieutenant Miller, what changes, what challenges, moreover, does law enforcement face when responding to these types of calls?
0: Well, in many cases, uh, not a sufficient witness, not having good enough testimony, or um, the three of us in a room here can... can All witness the same event, and give three different descriptions about what we just saw. Mm. So many cases that that's what we that's the situation we hit. Um, Many cases, the incident that we're getting calls about, as quick as the the calls come in, the situation either uh, takes care of itself, and the drivers thankfully choose to go separate ways, um, or it's handled and in another manner, and we're too late. But since. um, 2018 till right now, till 2023 year to date, there's been four, or excuse me, 40 fatalities involved in road rage in Tennessee. And that's, that's extremely way too many. Mm-hmm. But there has been a total of 4,270 investigations just by the Highway Patrol during that same time period. And that's just our agency's numbers, not the numbers of other agencies. So one challenge, you know, challenges is... Um, is us being able to get there fast enough. And we're very thankful that Governor Lee has approved new trooper positions in our current budgets. So we're getting additional troopers on top of our current force numbers. So with that being said, we'll be able to put more troopers out onto the roadways. And and that's because motors pretty much know where and when times a day law enforcement can... is going to be patrolling. If, if it's a highway patrol, they know that that trooper is going to be on the interstates and if there's not a trooper on the interstate during this time frame, or they don't see a trooper too very frequently on this stretch of interstate, then it almost gives them a green light in their mind to mm. to act as the way they are. So that's a huge challenge is the, is the workforce numbers, the amount of troopers that we need. But we are addressing that, and, and thankfully there's help coming with that.
1: Now, you know, on in 2013, then-Governor Bill Haslam signed the so-called Guns-and-Trunks law. This allowed handgun carry permit holders to lawfully store firearms and ammunition in their personal vehicles, which means a lot of people have guns in their cars when they're on the road. Jason, what do you make of this situation?
5: I mean, it's gotten us to where we have over the last 10 years. You know, we're one of the worst states in the country, and we can say road rage. I call it road murder. I mean, I think road rage trivializes it, but... Um, it's the reason we lead the country in firearms getting stolen out of guns, or why you know our airport has some of the highest numbers of people walking through metal detectors bringing their guns in there. And this is this problem was created by us. It didn't exist ten years ago. Um, and the statistics are that states with permitless carry are three times more likely to have road rage incidents than the states that don't. And you know, we've created this environment and we can we can take it back from that. I mean, it puts law enforcement officers at much higher risks, too. You know, I mean, it's it's a it's a tough environment. And but we created it. Right. It didn't come out of a vacuum. We we've taken away all these limits. let created create the environment that we're in now.
1: Now, Lieutenant Miller, you're on the road a lot from your your work. What
5: are you
0: observing when you're out there? Well, it's different. If I'm in a marked unit, when I say marked unit, if I'm in a, a black and cream traditional Tennessee State Trooper patrol vehicle, traffic behaves much differently, mm-hmm. more uh, more mannerized, more behaved, more in in line with the rules of the road. Um, if I'm in my black explore, unmarked, it's totally different. It's wide open. It's it's almost like it's uh, the Wild Wild West. So um, it's all about driver um, and individual responsibility and ownership. Um I hate to say so. You know, I, I can't. I cannot put a political tag on what the problem is. Individuals make the choice to speed. Individuals make the choice to pull a weapon and fire a weapon in, in uh, just indiscriminately at a, a unknown vehicle. And that's where we have to. We have to change mindset. We have to change how we as a nation, as a state, as a city, as a community, how we observe and interact and relate to people. It's a true public safety issue. Absolutely. Question
1: for you, have you ever been involved in a road rage incident yourself?
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think if we're all honest, uh, I, I may have been the reason, when I was a younger person, I may have been the reason why the road rage incident happened. Well, t- can you tell me about it? I'll just industry. I mean, not knowing. I mean, it, as we're younger, was I speeding? Was I a hotshot driver? Was, uh, was I thinking I was a better driver than everyone else on the roadway? I, I probably was. So my point is, is that we can point fingers and say that it's this person's fault for the road rage incident. And it could have been, but were we also contributing something to that incident as a, so there's I'm not saying every driver is at fault, but I'm just saying that if we all operate under the rules of the roadway, give ample space to the vehicle in front of us so that a vehicle can merge in between us in an emergency situation, that de-escalates that incident from being now uh, where you feel like you've been cut off and now you're aggressive towards that vehicle in front of you. So we all can take some type of precautionary measures as drivers to to eliminate the possibility of a road rage incident taking place. And a road rage incident doesn't always include violence. It does include property damage. And it, with my stats here, some of the, the, the images that I have or numbers I have statistic-wise, out of that 4,270 numbers of uh, total investigations we have, 3,179 were property damage. So mm-hmm. that's where vehicles have crashed into one another. So obviously we take those reports, take those crash reports, take the statements. But I have been involved in road rage incidents. I have. And the number one thing that I tell everyone, the same as I do, is I back off. I de-escalate it. I don't know what that person's going through. I don't know what's in that car. I don't know what their mindset is capable of doing. So I'm not going to jeopardize my life or that of my family. So I'm going to let them go. I'm not going to change their behavior by... By engaging with them. Now,
1: Jason, tell me, what do you want people to know about, what what do you want them to be aware of when they're on the road?
5: Well, I mean, to to echo those statements, Lieutenant Miller, you know, you just don't know what the other person's capable of. Mm -hmm. It's just not worth the risk. I mean, I I drive like a grandpa anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I mean, that's the thing that haunts me. You know, when somebody's honking at me or comes in a jacked up pickup truck and, you know it's got all sorts of gun stickers or a Gadsden flag <laughs> license plate like i get messed up by that, that that's that's a lot to take in but uh, you just got to be careful but you know at the end of the day the problem with this is you know if you've got a banana on your front seat and a loaded handgun if there's a road rage incident <laughs> there's going to be a lot less of a chance of something horrible happened if there's a banana there than a loaded handgun and that's that's the problem i mean we can't we could put more patrols, we can put more more people out there, and be safer drivers. But it's aspirin for cancer. We gotta take care of the cancer, mm. Lieutenant Middle. How can the how can community education
1: help to potentially reduce the possibilities of road rage inc-
0: incidents? Education and engagement uh, with our communities, especially our younger people, uh, they are our future. And as as they learn and as they develop, as they grow, and as they become adults. That's as they translate translate their, their raising and their, their beliefs to their children and to the young people around them. So we had to start now. We had to start yesterday mm-hmm. with, with educating our, our younger people on respecting one another and how to engage in conversation and, and to de-escalate from uh, situations that are very harmful and dangerous, not only to themselves, but to everyone else. <clears throat> we see a lot of around our, our state, around our cities, Uh, instances are taking place in our cities that were instances inside the city now pours out onto the roadways. So again, we have to work with our communities, educate our communities both in the rural areas, both in the metropolitan areas, and just communicate and learn to understand that we all share this great space and we all must be respectful to one another. You're an officer of the Highway Patrol, and you've just told us you've seen
1: motorists and drivers on their best behavior, and on their worst behavior.
0: What do you want the people to know? Myself, you, Jason, and everyone listening to this this broadcast, none of us are exempt. We all can be a victim of road rage. We all can be a victim of a drunk driver. We all can be a victim of a random shooting. If you see something taking place on the on the highway, please, Dial star 847 at star THP, is free from any cell phone provider, or dial 911. Alert law enforcement immediately because you are the best tool that we have. And the reason why so many uh, reckless driving or uh, road rage or violent acts that take place on the roadways cannot get solved, such as Jason's situation with his brother, it's because we have lack of good witness testimony. We have lack of camera footage, and everyone today has a camera in their, in their possession. So you are our best tool. We can put a thousand more troopers on the roadway today, but we're not gonna be everywhere that we need to be every single time. Whereas the public is there, someone is there. Be the best witness to that person who is the victims you can be.
1: I'd like to thank my guests, Lieutenant Bill Miller with the Tennessee Highway Patrol and Jason Sparks, gun violence prevention advocate. Thank you both for being with us today, gentlemen.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you, Kelly.
1: Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll take a deep breath and learn about potential solutions to road rage. Have you experienced road rage? How do you want to see it addressed? Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Today we've been discussing the dangers of road rage. Tennessee ranks in the top five for road rage altercations in the country. Before the break, we heard from a gun violence prevention advocate who lost his brother to a fatal road rage incident, and we spoke with an officer with the Tennessee Highway Patrol about how road rage can happen anywhere, anytime, to anyone. Now, let's explore some potential solutions to this public safety issue. For that, I'd like to introduce my next guests. James Clemens is a behavioral health educator who runs Freedom from Anger, LLC. He's joined by Bashir Gouray, a driving instructor and truck, trucking company safety manager. Bashir also serves on the community advisory board for WPLN. James, Bashir, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. <laughs> really appreciate it. Now, now, James, I think you know many of us would assume that the cause of road rage is in the name. Rage and anger are the primary factors to these situations. Mm-hmm. You teach people anger management tools. How do you go about assessing someone's anger issues?
4: Uh, typically, when we do an assessment, we um, present different scenarios. And have them talk about how they would normally respond to those different scenarios. Also, uh, we like to look at as far as like stress levels. You know, what what's what's new going on in their life? Anything else going on? And then we just kind of go from there. And then once we actually get into talking about the anger, as we all know that's just the tip of the iceberg, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's everything else that's, you know, the anger is what's being seen. It's all the un- underlying stuff that we really have to focus on to try to uh, get to the root of the anger.
1: You have something you call the ABCs of anger management. C- can you tell us what they are?
4: Well, it's definitely not mine. It's, uh, it was developed by Dr. Albert Ellis, Um a long time ago. Um, he's kind of the grandfather of cognitive behavioral therapy. And e- e- most people who do anger management use the ABCs. And it's basically breaking down a situation. You have A is the activating event. And then B, you have the belief about the activating event. Or you can also call the activating event the trigger. And then C, you have the consequence of that belief it can be positive it can be negative mm-hmm.
1: now Bashir you work with a lot of immigrants who know how to drive in their home countries but they're learning the American driving laws what are some of the difficulties they might experience when adjusting to driving in the. US
3: Thank you Khalil for the opportunity there is a lot of differences in terms when you drive in an international or a back home and compared to USA, a lot of immigrants, for example, a lot of our clients, they're from Asia, India, Africa. The mentality is driving on the road, in back home, is don't get hit, be safe. Go home safely and come back home safely, where you have to watch 24 7. The difference, I've seen it in the USA and in Nashville, everybody. Hey, I'm keeping my rule. As long as I'm in my line, I could draft as fast as I want. Most of the people, that are inconsiderate, the situation around to it. If the the road is red and you get it in, they're not going to stop you. But back home, you're not going to watch the red. You're watching every single move. Mm. But in the USA, hey, if my green light, I'm going to hit whoever comes there. So we tell a lot of students, hey, it's not back home. Here is you have to follow the rule. And on top of what you used to know, you have to watch around you. So do you tell them about road rage? And if you do, how do you explain that to them? Absolutely. We tell them, hey, it's the big thing here is the road rage. And our service, is rage-free roads would we consult people and educate them it is big in the USA and everybody have a gun, everybody's ready for a violence, don't engage them. Don't look, don't make eye contact. If you ever make eye contact, it should be the one you are apologizing. Mm. Be safe, if you see somebody following you too closely, pull aside, change the line. If you could get off the exit, please do. As much as you could afford altercation, that's your best weapon.
1: I'm I'm curious if the concept of road rage is like kind of new to them. Like what have any of your students how have they responded when you tell them of this thing called road rage here in the States?
3: And a lot of students they would be surprised when I tell them, Hey, don't make it eye contact, don't fight. They would say, Why do we have to fight? I said, Here people die. It is very seriously. If you're driving it slowly, if you're not driving the speed limit like less than 10 miles, it could kill you. More than 10 miles, it could kill you. You have to be exact on point. And they would said, why is that? For example, in, in back home, you will watch your own vehicle because of most of the people are self-insured. So you don't want to damage your vehicle. You don't want to risk it your life. Here, everybody's insured. said, hey. They'll drive as much as fast as they could mm-hmm. now 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 James, you know we, we, we
1: heard uh, Lieutenant Miller mention earlier some of the reasons why people engage in mm-hmm. in road rage factor uh, timing we, we, we were late to our appointment we're late to work um, and, and some of those other things when we talk about like anger and the causes of it, I'm curious if there are other factors that may be in play when people engage in road rage incidents.
4: Well, I think Lieutenant Miller, he he hit on a lot of the key, uh, key things, uh, especially, you know, when we're running late, the high anxiety that we have from that, the additional stress. Um, so what time I leave the house... You know, I know, you know, if you're in Nashville, you, you know you're going to run into traffic. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I i can't control traffic, but I can't control what time I leave. Um, I think that's probably one of the biggest things is, you know, we get behind and we try to um, make up time, even though if I'm speeding drastically, I'm not really going to get there that much quicker. But I'm putting myself at risk and I'm putting other people around me at risk. When I could have simply, you know, made it a point, leave leave a little bit earlier.
1: You know, if you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. We're talking this hour about road rage and some solutions for us all that so we can keep our streets safe. My guests are Bashir Gure and James Clemens. Tweet us your comments at this is Nashville. James, let me ask you, in your mind, how has COVID impacted road rage incidents?
4: Well, um I think it has definitely, you know, definitely increased, it seems, over the past three years. Um, I know it seems that people tend to be a bit more outwardly angry. Um, You can kind of feel kind of a tension, and I don't know if that's based off of, you know, it could be political ideology, it could be just, you know, uh, inflation or hey, I'm having a hard time making ends meet, rents, you know, constantly going up. So I I feel that more people seem to be under a a little bit more stress. And then once, you know, we get behind the wheel, um, somebody does something we don't agree with, then we try to retaliate, and that's when we get in trouble. Uh, Like Mr. Bashir said, you know, you know, back off, <laughs> get off the road if you can. Um, do what you can to not instigate things further. Like, you know, no eye contacts, all those sort of things. So that's that's the person
1: you're <clears throat> running into if you're a motorist and you run into somebody who may seem a little bit agitated and upset. Mm-hmm. But what about if they are that person mm-hmm. who is agitated mm-hmm. and upset behind the wheel? Mm-hmm. What are some tools for them to kind of de-escalate themselves, if they can, while they're driving?
4: Well, I'm always a big proponent of, you know, um, meditation, breathing exercises. You know, it's kind of hard to to meditate driving down the road, but yeah, I can, yeah. you can definitely do breathing exercises. Um, just what you're listening to on the radio. Um, you, you know, I could be listening to loud music, or I could be listening to a book on tape, you know, I will have different outcomes. Or me personally, uh, I like listening to comedy, podcasts, things of that nature, you know, and I'd rather laugh than <laughs> be angry at somebody. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it has to do with our, our expectations of other people. Uh, we tend to put other people a little bit higher um, on a pedestal. Like, if I'm going down the road, I'm thinking that everybody's going to drive exactly the way I drive. Hmm. That's not realistic. And reality is, there's some knuckleheads out there that don't drive that well, So, and I'm probably going to come in contact with them, allow allow them to be human, allow them to make mistakes, but what I do, that's that's on me. I have control over that. I have no control over um, how they choose to drive.
1: Bashir is that something that you remind your your students of like you're in control of how you drive You can't be in control of everyone else. So it's best to drive safely explain
3: Yeah, ex- and James hit a lot of uh, good points, and that's exactly what we teach We tell them hey remember three R: rage free road you are in control you are in control for your emotion you are in control for your surrounding. Having that in mind when you started your vehicle, it changes whole a lot. As he said, take a deep breath. Tell hey, am I late? It's okay if I late five minutes, ten minutes. Give a benefit of doubt for people surrounding you. As he said, you never know what they're going through. So be in control. Follow distance, don't follow too closely because of that could danger you. Mm-hmm. Give aside when somebody entering the road, even if five, ten vehicle get in front of you, you're not late, but that's 30 seconds, it takes 30 seconds. We, I tell my students, twenty second could save you for your life, how? Like, if aggressive driver coming in, that's 20 seconds it takes to pass, like, close to a mile. So practice those safe distance, mm-hmm. courtesy, giving benefit of doubt.
1: You know, you, everyone, all of our guests said something that really struck out to me that stands out. You said, you never know what somebody else is going through. kind of feels like something we should apply, not just when we're behind the wheel, but like every day in life, right? Absolutely. It's, okay, so, you know, how far can kindness go when people are driving?
3: Bashir? Big time, big time, because people are suffering, as James alluded, a lot of uh, mental illness. And you could make somebody's day by easily letting it in the road, by not honking at them, not agitating them. And if, you see somebody struggling, help him out. S- especially if somebody stopped at the gas station and you see that they agitated, they're struggling, the lack of gas. That could go a long way. Be the kind be kind. Mm-hmm. And show them and smile a lot. Because if it like somebody looked at you passing you and if you smile to them, that could be what they're looking for all day. Mm-hmm. And you could make their day. And still agitated and angry face.
1: James, when you when you talk to the people you work with, um, there's this technique I believe you use called rational emotional behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. What are what are some of the results like in those, those tips that you give them? How do those folks? How do they respond to that?
4: Uh, they respond well. Um, it's usually brand new information for them because um, you know they. Uh, just the simple fact that if you tell them that uh, nobody can make you angry, only you can, you know, it, it kind of mm. makes them kind of step back because, you know, what you choose to do and how you choose to act, and I have no control over that, but how I choose to re- respond or react, uh, react is what we don't want to do. Responding, you know, I'm giving it some thought. Um so just a simple thought like that, you know, it really makes them think, okay, well, yeah, I mean, because what you choose to do, you know, has nothing to do with my belief about what you do. goes back to those ABCs. you got the trigger, activating an event. My beliefs about that event is going to determine my consequence, whether or not I'm happy or sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just something as simple as that concept, you know, it really takes them a little while to, to grasp that concept, because we're so used to saying, well, you, well they made me mad. Mm-hmm. No, they were just doing them, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. it's your perception.
1: Is that, this, this all sounds like, you know, the things we learned in kindergarten. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> coming back yeah. to play in the real world. So, James, you know, what advice would you give anyone who is driving right now mm-hmm. and listening to
4: the show? I would say, you know, um, like Mr. Bashir said, you know, you know try to be kind, Um, because, you know, the old saying goes, you know, be kind because everyone's fighting a battle. Everybody's fighting a war. And we do not know what the person in the car next to us is going through or what they're capable of. Um, And unfortunately, a lot of people, you know, have weapons of all sorts. And, you know, we have to have to be careful.
1: Bashir, 30 seconds left. What do you want the people to know?
3: As Jamie said, be kind, relax, don't follow too closely, don't speed. you are in control. I want to thank
1: you both for being here with us and thank you for offering us solutions. My guests were James Clemens, behavioral health educator with Freedom From Anger, LLC. He was joined by Bashir Gouray, driving coach and safety manager. Again, thank you both for being here and offering these tips. Thank, thank you, you so having us. much. Thanks for tuning in this hour. Tomorrow, the state legislature passed a bill abolishing community oversights boards like the one Nashville voters approved in 2018. We'll bring you a citizen Nashville to examine what's next. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode was produced by Magnolia McKay. Our senior producer is Steve Harouche. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director, our executive producer, is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Paige Flager. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other on the roads.